everybody and welcome back to another episode of Dissectable Me. My name is Chris Summers and today I'm going to explore the anatomy of the nasal cavity and paranasal sinuses. In recent episodes I've been exploring bones of the skull and today I'm going to look at the nasal cavity from a point of view of function and trying to use that function as a segue to explain some of the fascinating underlying anatomy. So we'll get the obvious ones out of the way first and then look at the more niche ones, also trying to add in a sprinkling of what happens when you get dysfunction. So, first of all, let's talk about the nasal cavity as being a conduit for breathing. Interesting fact for you, infants have historically often been described as obligatory nasal breathers to allow for suckling of milk. However, more contemporary literature seems to suggest to some degree this has been dispelled, with some studies demonstrating nasal and oral breathing occurring spontaneously even in early infancy. Despite this, congenital blockage of the posterior nasal cavity called coenal atresia can be life-threatening if left untreated in newborns. So perhaps preferred nasal breathers is a more accurate term. And hopefully by the end of this podcast you'll think, should I be a preferred nasal breather? Up for you to debate. The second obvious function then is of course the sense of smell or olfaction. And this is conveyed to the brain via the first cranial nerve known as the olfactory nerve, which enters the nasal cavity high up in the roof. The olfactory nerve has small filaments that pass through the ethmoid bone into the cavity itself and any process that reduces airflow to this area can cause hyposmia or reduced sense of smell. Interestingly, trauma that causes the brain to slosh around in the cranial cavity in a contra-coup fashion can shear the small filaments from the olfactory bulb causing complete anosmia and this can be permanent. Smell is linked to taste, and until around 18 months ago, it was often referred to as the forgotten sense, largely neglected of its importance. Of course, recent world events and a certain virus that shall not be named has changed this, with many people unfortunately discovering firsthand how much of an impact hyposmia can have on the quality of life. But I digress. These are the obvious ones out of the way, but there are some less obvious functions. Now you can consider the nasal cavity as the great air conditioner of all inspired air. Starting on a macro level, nose hairs filter out large particles during inspiration and the mucus producing respiratory nasal mucosa lining the nasal cavity captures some of the smaller particles in the mucus it produces. The beating action of the ciliated epithelium lining the cavity sweeps these particles towards the back of the nose and ultimately directing them to your esophagus. Here they can be swallowed, destroyed and disposed of in the gastrointestinal tract. The ciliated respiratory epithelia are the same ones found in the lungs, but they of course beat in the opposite direction to achieve the same outcome for the debris that manages to circumnavigate the filter-like actions of the nose and larynx. This is often termed the mucociliary clearance system and is essentially a conveyor belt to dispose of waste trapped in the respiratory tree during breathing. Now, in addition to inspired air needing to be clean and moist, the lungs work best if the air is warm, and this is also achieved by the nasal cavity. The nasal cavity has an extraordinary blood supply with both contributions from the external and internal carotid arteries. Any one of you who have experienced a nosebleed or epistaxis know this all too well, and believe it or not, if this is left untreated, it can be fatal, albeit rarely. There is a logical explanation for such a phenomenal blood supply. Blood-filled nasal mucosa warms inspired air, so it is closer to body temperature by the time it reaches the lungs. This explains the anatomy of the lateral wall of the nasal cavity, where you will see three curled bones called turbinates or concha. These mucosa-covered bones increase the surface area of the nasal cavity, which maximises the air conditioning that can take place. Pretty neat, right? Now the final bits of anatomy I'd like to talk to you about are linked to the turbinate bones, or rather, 
these things drain underneath them in spaces called meatae, or singular being a meatus. The thing in question is, of course, the infamous paranasal sinuses. But what are they? These sinuses are air-filled spaces within the skull, named after the bone that they sit in. There are four groups, the frontal sinuses in the frontal bones, the largest maxillary sinuses sitting in your cheeks and your eyes, and finally the ethmoid air sacs in the ethmoid bone and the sphenoid sinus, you guessed it, in the sphenoid bone. These sinuses can famously become inflamed during an upper respiratory tract infection causing pain, pressure, rhinorrhea, hyposmia, symptoms caused by the sinus becoming inflamed and blocked where the mucus has nowhere to go. So why do we have sinuses? Well, take your pick from the following theories. Some debate they add resonance to the voice during speech and thus can be involved in communication. Others predict it's evolution's way of lightening the skull. A solid bone skull is pretty hard to lift off the desk. Literature has proven that paranasal sinuses produce vasodilatory nitric oxide, which reduces pulmonary vascular resistance and subsequently improves gaseous exchange. However, my personal favourite theory is the crumple zone idea. During trauma, the skull often fractures and some areas, such as the paranasal sinuses, fracture all too easily. Now, just as the front of your car is designed to break during a crash to reduce energy transfer to you, the crumple zone idea suggests your paranasal sinuses act in the same manner. By breaking during trauma, they reduce transmission of energy to the brain. Where there are lots of theories on the function of a tissue, you can guarantee two things. One, it's probably not fully understood. And two, there is likely multiple valid explanations. And that is it. The nasal cavity in five minutes. The nose is a special sensory organ of smell and taste that air conditions inspired air with loads of relevant clinical problems too numerous to go into here. If you want more on this topic, or ENT conditions in general, take a gander at my website, enteducationswansea.org. A shameless plug, but one I won't profit from as it's a free open resource for anyone studying ENT at undergraduate level. Thanks a lot for listening. I will catch you next time on Dissectable Me.